Nico Back and Pierre Mitchell join Tracelink's Roddy Martin to discuss the latest thinking on strategic sourcing, procurement, and supply chain information management. That's right now on the Agile Supply Chain Podcast. Welcome, uh, uh, Nico and, and Pierre, to another one of Tracelink's uh, subject matter expert webinars uh, on um, sourcing and procurement and the role in the Agile supply chain. So we're not talking in general about sourcing and procurement. We're talking about sourcing and procurement in the end-to-end supply chain. So obviously, um, you know, we want to start off with the, the credo uh, that's on my on my left-hand side, um, where we emphasize a few, you know, values and, and principles. But let me ask you each to introduce yourselves. I was lucky enough to work with uh, um, with PNG as a trusted advisor for ten years. So let's hear about you know your procurement expertise, Pierre and uh, Nico, your inside PNG expertise. Let's start with Pierre. Great. Well, uh, hi guys, and uh, welcome everybody. Uh, my I have like the rest of you um, a long and sorted history in in supply chain and. Um, probably almost 30 years uh, between uh, practitioner and advisory experience, kind of started in supply chain, never didn't really kind of end up in procurement. Most, actually most people in procurement don't grow up in procurement. They start somewhere else and they somehow land in this this weird and wonderful world. So um, yeah, anyway, uh, 25, 30 years uh, kind of split between the practitioner side um, and also uh, the consulting and advisory side. And a little fun fact, Roddy is the one who kind of got me into the whole IT industry analyst thing um, where I've been focused for almost the last 20 years or so on uh, the whole area. So blame it, blame it on me now, Pierre. <laughs> Sorry, it turned, it turned out okay. I'm, I'm happy, Roddy. So thank you. And I'm happy to be here. Good. Nico. Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Nico Beck, calling in from uh, Geneva in Switzerland. I've been with Procter & Gamble for 24 years, uh, mainly in um, you know, supply chain and, and procurement. And for the last five years, I was responsible for digital procurement in P&G. Um, and really based on kind of really driving uh, digital connections with our suppliers, both on the direct and indirect procurement side. And for that, I've worked with Pierre and obviously looking at uh, the technology solutions that are out there and really um, transform the connectivity uh, with our supply chain partners and being far more open and more uh, transparent in providing data to uh, help our partners to become better partners. Awesome. Uh, Well, so let me... Let me kick off by talking about this agile supply chain credo. Uh, The first thing that's important is it's not about tracing, it's not about technology, it's not about a vendor. It's supposed to be agnostic and we will keep the discussion agnostic. Um, So it's not about whether we use any form of, you know, relational database or platform or digital platforms, et cetera. It's meant to be bland, but insightful, right? That's the whole purpose of this. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask both Pierre and Nico to tee off um, what are their immediate responses to the Agile Supply Chain Credo. Now, many of you may already know, and especially uh, Nico coming from P&G, that the um, Credo is, is based on Lean, and, and world-class manufacturing. And um, I mean, you never hear PNG people talk about 
their embedding of lean and world-class manufacturing and agile in the in their in the IWS, the integrated work system. But nevertheless, it is. If you listen carefully and you know what you're listening for, uh, you will find um, where it's been embedded. So, so let me start by kicking off with with you, Pia, and and you, Nico. Um, what are the what is the one aspect of the credo that really jumps out at you when you say, you know, if I say, okay, this is going to be the flip from inside out supply driven to outside in demand driven. You say, whoa, hang on, there's a hell of a lot of stuff that needs to happen here. So what would that be, Pierre, from your point of view and Nico from your point of view? I'll I'll just I'll just pick one word, and I think the word is agile and agility. And I think it's a word that just it's thrown around. It's been thrown around for a decade, right? And but you you have to really unpack it to understand what that really means, right? And how organizations are not terribly agile right now um, relative to just how they just we'll take the procurement example and look at this integration between procurement and supply chain, right? So think about what integrated supply management, what agile supply means. It means you have to go from an agile supply chain overall in terms of how that, you know, how that works to meet the customer needs to supply chain um, supplier segments, kind of critical suppliers versus kind of, in, you know, your lower impact suppliers to, you know, your uh, third tier supplier. That's going to be the one that comes up short and, and like takes down half your supply chain to category and category managers on the procurement side and how they manage spend categories down to individual suppliers, down to the contracts and down to the line level where the poor buyer planner is trying to figure out how to coordinate all this inbound to actually meet, you know, to actually meet a schedule. So it's a really challenging design problem for procurement to work with supply chain to actually just, you know, uh, at its face, just to be able to set up not just the direct material sourcing contracts, but all, you know, setting up the whole infrastructure around the rest of the players, the contract manufacturers, the CMS, you know, all the, the different or, uh, folks that need to be orchestrated and just making sure that everybody's actually working together to coalesce around the plan and the customer. Because right now, you know, procurement folks are measured on kind of a point function around, you know, price and cost, right? And, um, and they don't really get to that balanced scorecard of supply and how do you measure resiliency and flexibility and agility as the antidote to risk. So I know there's a lot in there, but I think that agility piece um, really captures it uh, and just the challenge of how do you be agile as a supply chain and then as the folks managing the supply chain, both procurement and the source and the supply chain folks trying to work together to to manage this whole you know orchestration. So yeah, and that's a that's a really couple of good points, and I think agility, agility and resilience stand out to me as being you know those are the real challenges. So Nico, what would you add? Um, you know, and you don't need to choose the same as as uh, uh, Pierre, but <clears throat> what would you choose as the as the points that jump out at you? Well, I would um, basically pick out uh, shared data. So we have a lot of suppliers, and I just take you. Uh, Back to my times at P&G, where I was responsible to digitize basically the work processes between uh, P&G and our suppliers. Uh, so we have about 70,000 suppliers, um, 65,000 on the indirect side, about 5,000 on the direct side. And the suppliers on the direct side, so supply chain suppliers, uh, raw material, packaging, contract manufacturing, are really the, the three main categories, right? And if you look at um, actually our connectivity with our indirect suppliers is better than our connectivity with our supply chain suppliers. 
which is interesting because you would expect the opposite to be true. Um, right. Because obviously when you are a day late with the delivery of shampoo bottles into your factory, your problem is going to be a lot bigger than uh, on the indirect side. And so um, my focus for the last couple of years has been to increase the connectivity with our supply base on the supply chain side and be far more um, open in terms of sharing data. Now we have a lot of, of kind of manual processes that I think, I, I think they work, um, but obviously there's much better ways to share data than to uh, send spreadsheets around uh, via email. So we've got uh, uh, kind of a significant um, uh, B2B connectivity program in place uh, with our biggest suppliers. And actually, um, you know, those suppliers um, know a lot about our business and their real partners. And uh, they've grown up with PNG often and uh, provide PNG with the resiliency uh, that we have. And I think in this, in this COVID times, we see that our supply chains are robust and that our relationship with our suppliers are robust and that we can rely on them to basically deliver the goods, even in you know this time where we see huge shifts in demands, right? And use huge spikes and and um, and you know high and lows uh, because people are stocking up, stocking down. Uh, you know, dependent on where the country is in this uh, in this COVID uh, cycle. Um, but obviously, sharing data with suppliers and and be and make them more part of our business or your business, I think, is a very important part to the uh, agile supply chain credo that you're talking about here. Yeah, no, and I, I think both both uh, both of your points are, are well taken. And in fact, if you don't have transparency, visibility and shared data, uh, then you really can't do, um, you know, move away from the site centric or country centric uh, procurement and sourcing that used to happen in PNG when I first started working with PNG. So the you know the second the second point that I want to raise and that is <clears throat> um, resiliency and 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 responsiveness. I mean it's you know one of the things that PNG's done is it codified best practices into IWS. Now I'm not saying that every practice in the business is codified into IWS, but I would say there's got to be at least seventy five percent of processes that. PNG works with that have been codified into into IWS, and um, so so how hard was that to in fact extract those codified best practices and give them to sourcing and procurement specialists, especially in a digital world? Uh, how hard was it to extract those out and say, you know, here is the um, the 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 table of all the best practices that you need to work around. So, I mean, let's let's start with you, Pia. In terms of resiliency and um, uh, I, I just focus on that topic. I think one of the challenges that I see just, you know, just outside of, you know, CPG and pharma and whatever, just in, in general is um, so often right now we kind of manage around a process that goes right, right? And we think about in the perfect world when it goes well, it's terrific. We think about kind of how we don't manage variability kind of into the inherently into the process. So just think about a supply plan where we take, you know, out of SNOP coming over into passing some volume, very simple example, volumes over to, to the buy side. What do we get? We get an average point function. We don't understand the spread of the data. We don't understand the scenarios driving it. We lose all the insight around all the things that can kind of go wrong on the demand side. 
not even to take into account all the things that can kind of go wrong on the supply side. And this is where there has been some good work on the supply chain risk management side to really understand, you know, what are all the things that can come and bite us? And obviously you can't foresee them all. I mean, COVID was, you know, a gray swan, but it really ended up being a pretty big, dark gray swan, right? So, you know, to actually go and build the playbooks and the business continuity plans, just to understand to have thought through them and to have some basic playbooks and to know how to recover from them. Those are important. And actually one of the interesting findings is that companies that are starting to build this kind of digitized supply network model and do this type of activity, which they'll also do for sustainability and other things like that, actually allows them to start running these planning scenarios if, if they're really up to it, if they're sophisticated enough to do it and not just plan around point functions, to actually think about how do I manage under these kind under this variability and, and and that to me that's kind of the what real resilience is is being able to kind of you know deliver in the face of all of those you know of that of all the VUCA you know the variability and the uncertainty and the complexity and all, and all those things so um, I think that's really the test is to the extent that um, companies are really being thoughtful around everything that can go wrong and, and variable variability on the demand and supply side and really do something about it. And not just as Mike Tyson, the boxer said, you know, everything's great until you get punched in the face, right? That's like with supply risk, you know, everything's great until it actually happens to you and then it gets real, right? So um, I think that's the real test of leadership. How do we bake that risk and resiliency into our sourcing processes and into our, you know, our day-to-day activities, so. That's a, a couple of good points, Nico. What would you what would you add from a codified best practice uh, perspective in um, <clears throat> in sourcing and procurement processes? Just what do I resort to? You know, uh, it's it's perhaps unfair that P and G uh, are the benchmark for. I'm going to say the benchmark. Certainly in consumer packaged goods, they they are for me the benchmark. Um, but, but being the benchmark, um, you know, I'm always going to get beaten up because I've said, you know, PNG's done this, PNG has done that. Nico, you were at the thick of that, right? And I'm sure you've heard the Roddy Martin, here goes Roddy again. And, and I'm not an executive of PNG. What would you say about the challenges inside um, PNG? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that um, procurement knows a lot about supply chain, right? I mean, Pierre talked before about, you know, being in procurement, being in supply chain. I, I think procurement professionals spend quite some time on their supply chains and understand uh, kind of how it how it works, right? By sometimes walking the supply chain, exactly every step that's involved between the supplier, kind of manufacturing the, the goods and us receiving the goods and making it into finished products. So... I think we have a, a good setup that where procurement looks at the end-to-end value that um, our supplier partners uh, can deliver, right? So not being kind of price buyers, but really be value buyers and look for long-term relationships with our suppliers to drive costs out, quality up, um, uh, reliability up, etc. cetera. Um, I think in terms of you know, best practices and codifying best practices, um, we have an organization in PNG which we call material supply management, and those folks are really um, kind of working with the supplier with kind of to get the, the lead times agreed, um, kind of site level execution agreements, responsiveness, kind of um, lead time for emergency delivery 
policies, etc. And those folks are actually part of the procurement function, right? So they're right. integrated. And as we look at, at um, the value that we're looking to deliver with our, our supplier partners, we look at the entire value, right? And, and including, um, you know, differences in lead times or responsiveness uh, and reliability between various suppliers, etc. So those are all factors where we have, I think, you know, good data on. So when we make sourcing decisions, we, we put all those factors into the decision about who's going to be supplying us in the future. And I think, again, that comes uh, back to having good data. Um, supplier performance data is, you know, a piece of data, uh, supplier quality data, obviously cost performance, innovation performance. Um, and I think we, we look at this very holistically to ensure that, you know, we grow our business with our best suppliers and we reduce our business with the suppliers that, that struggle or, um, or, or need a bit of kind of help to get to and become better suppliers. Um, so I think the, the, the view is very holistic and I think that's a big, um, I mean, a big element of, of looking at that very integrated versus like going after procurement measure. We're not interested in procurement measures. We're interested in business metrics, right? So. Well, you see, and that touches on the credo, right? Because I mean, the credo says uh, that we are, you know, patient or customer uh, focused outcomes and not just process metrics, not just metrics along the way. I mean, I can remember Keith saying, you know, I don't want anybody of any one of you to tell me that it left a plant on time or it was in the warehouse but it still wasn't on the shelf in, in Walmart or wherever the case may be. So I, I think the point you've made is, is really good. And so it does mean that, um, that P&G has to do a really good job together with the retailer, whoever that may be, to ensure that they are signing off an accurate demand forecast plan, uh, literally in blood, because they can't get it wrong. If they get it wrong, then it's going to be a disaster because there's going to be excess inventory. And I always used to laugh at Jake Barr when I would go to um, the local Ocean State job lot and I'd see a whole, you know, uh, let's say boxes and boxes of Tide, uh, but not Tide pods. And he said, ah, so he said, can you see any um, uh, can you see any uh, um, Tide Pods around there? And I said, no. I said, what's going on? And he said, ah, that's the flushing process to get um, Tide in its you know traditional containers through the stores and make pro and make uh, make space for the Tide Pods that are on their way. Now you you know how long ago that was, right? So, um, but that's a it's a good indicator of planning. So PNG is planning one to two to three years ahead to get the whole chain moving. And whatever you've signed off in that three-year chain, two-year chain, uh, is an important step for PNG's sourcing and procurement processes. Uh, you don't just wake up in uh, six months' time and say, hey, I think we're going to launch a new uh, green, whatever the case may be, green tide pod for St. Patrick's Day. So I think that that was a, a very good point. And I think that in many senses, um, people listening to this are going to say, well, you know, hey, PNG, uh, I haven't heard them talk about uh, demand forecast accuracy or demand forecast. 
so maybe we've missed something. Well, I think that there's a whole process that runs in material supply management and the standards and the IWS standards uh, that lay the foundations for uh, every product and the run-up to uh, codifying a product and signing off an order and handing it to production and say, off you go. Um, it's, it, it's not a mad scramble where you have 60% demand forecast accuracies and people are running around like chickens without heads. It's not like that. And, and I think that's an important sort of factor of uh, the reliable, agile supply chain credos. You've got to have that basic capability in place in order to, once that plan is signed off, it's kind of like the vaccine process, let's say like the vaccine process. So um, yeah, that's uh, an important one. I think, uh, you know, um, Pierre and, and Nico, if I asked each one of you, what are each of your stop and starts that you would make a recommendation to, um, to P&G uh, in respect of getting ready and more agile and resilient um, with the supply chain uh, and demand forecast accuracy, uh, and and in a sense, building that resiliency that we've been talking about. So, Pierre, how about we kick off with you? Well, God, that's uh, you know, who am I to to to, to tell P and G what to do on such a broad question? I'll let I'll let Nico make those recommendations. I will um, I will get tactical around and if you if you will around one aspect, which is, um, you know, Nico mentioned kind of the data and the importance of it, and that is something that we certainly spend a lot of time like working with clients around thinking through their their data strategy and their procurement and their supply chain data management and modeling the master data what do they want to own what do they parse out to third parties to manage different types of spend and suppliers and what you know what processes and things like that so i would say um you know being since you know the information is kind of a raw material it is part of the supply chain right um i think thinking through the information flow and how you manage the information architecture is 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 critical. And I know Roddy, you're you're an architecture geek from way back. One of the things I you know appreciated from with you from the beginning. And um, I think it is that those issues have not gone away, and they become even more important in terms of. And this is why. And actually, I, I was working with uh, Deloitte to do the latest CPO study, and the issue around data accuracy and fidelity and availability that the the gap between that and everything else has just widened because everybody is really dying to get the real-time analytics that they need to see the risks to see the opportunities to just manage the business and in a very mixed topology of lots of systems with ERP and supply chain and spend management and all the supplier systems and the third parties and managed services IT is pulling their hair out just from a cloud governance and you know uh, IT risk standpoint, but trying to actually put a layer on top of it, like you were talking about um, before, you know, Rod and, and some of the work that PNG did, that's absolutely critical. And, and anybody can kind of get started on that. You just kind of need to figure out where to pick your battles and how to get started. So for procurement organizations, it might be just starting with spend and then suppliers and then supply chain and then contracts. Everyone will have a different journey. But I think that's one of the biggest things is really to think about through the information that you really need to manage, you know, and provide that resiliency, then work backwards to the physical systems that are third party systems or what you own. But more and more, it's 
companies building their own analytics layer and master data layers so they can really own their own destiny from some of those decision-making and any of the stuff they want to do around AI where that might be truly differentiated and things like that. So I would say that thinking through the data and the data architecture and the um, and the information, you know, supply network, as well as the actual physical supply network is, uh, is, is really important. And only, I think some of the best companies are even thinking about how to really organize that information um, cohesively to support what, you know, you're talking about. So. Yeah, that's a, those are good insights. And, and Nika, how would you, what would you add to, um, to Pierre's comments? Yeah, well, I think data is, is everything, right? And and companies have you know have a lot of data, but the trick is how do you combine it together to, to get you insights, right? So, um, you know, supplier quality data is usually owned by QA, right? So they have their systems, but how do we ensure that in sourcing we take it into account when we make sourcing decisions? And delivery performance of supplier is owned by the planner buyer organization, right? So they're not the ones that decide. Um, you know, which supplier is going to get the business uh, next time around. But the data that they create about the reliability of the supply chain and, um, you know, how good the delivery performance is of the supplier is important for sourcing to make the right decisions, right? So it's all about how you bring that data together. Um, and you should start with what you think is the most important data, right? So I think for a company like Procter & Gamble, our supply chains are hugely important, um, and I think the performance, delivery performance and quality performance, our suppliers are really key data elements for us to write, to, to get to the right um, sourcing decisions and, and recommendations, right? So um, in terms of your kind of stop and, and start, um, I mean, this is kind of, I think people should really, or procurement should really stop being price buyers. And still there are some price buyers out there sometimes. And especially in today's time, it's not, not a very smart approach. I think there's all these other elements that um, are way more important than, um, you know, if a supplier gives you a 3 or 5% discount. Um, and also, I think when you, when you then are with the right supply base and you have really partners for your business, you should treat them as partners and you should trust them and you should really make them part of your business, right? And I think there's many good examples, um, you know, in the tech sector where, you know, the, the really the business has been created by a ecosystem of suppliers versus, and, and that's really the ecosystem of suppliers is what made that supply chain unbeatable, either from a resiliency point of view, from an innovation point of view, um, or whatever you're looking for, but it's the ecosystem of suppliers and then being able to share data with your suppliers on either the needs for innovation or kind of um, you know, bringing data together to make the supply chains more robust. Uh, we often go into kind of second level buying. And of course, there's also important that you know, our data share with our suppliers and our suppliers share the data with their suppliers, right? And I think that it's kind of one step deeper in the supply chain, but I think very important to make a resilient supply chain because if your supplier doesn't have the feedstock they need, to produce for you, you're still going to be out out of product, right? So, yeah. um, so I think let's also look deeper into the supply chain than just the one level and the folks that you're paying um, the, the the materials uh, to. So, so it, it actually what you said and what Pierre said is actually quite closely aligned because what Pierre said was look at the flow of information, look at the process architecture 
you're saying look at the way the data is stored and make sure that you can share it and that you can come to some smart results because then once you nail down a, uh, a demand forecast and say, okay, we're going to make to X, we will make to X. And the chances are that if we make to X and we only make three quarters of X or 90% of X, we can respond quite quickly because we know quite well where the problem uh, happened. So I think that those are those are um, you know really really good points. Hey Roddy, one thing I just add. Sorry, one thing I just add in is just this is just to think of strategic sourcing in the procurement world as really extended supplier supply network redesign. Right when you are changing suppliers, when you're finding new suppliers and looking at their suppliers suppliers, and trying to have some influence that and and, and Nico's right around high tech or whatever you know, you are in fact doing extended kind of network design when you are doing strategic sourcing, right? So you better be thinking about how you're creating, you know, are you going to create a very um, a very fragile network, right? And very focused with suppliers who are, you know, you've self-selected to be focused on price and uh, you're going to be change ordered to death in the services world, right? That, that happens. Or are you going to really pick true partners, right? And they're going to be selecting you as much as you're selecting them, this term of the customer of choice, right? That's a real thing. The best suppliers are choosy and they're going to they're gonna want right. to work with Honda and P&G and the ones that are going to make them better and give them competitive advantage. So for, for procurement supply chain organizations that are back at level one, level two of, of whatever maturity model, there's a real strategic disadvantage that you might not even see because those best suppliers are already doing things light years ahead of what you're, you know, you, you would be doing because you'd just be dragging them down, right? So it's really important. No, that's a, and I'm and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, that's the reason why um, when I when I touted that CIFSA five stage model uh, as the maturity model for supply chain when we were all working together on on demand driven value networks. Uh, there was a really good reason for that, and that's because of the statement you just made. I can have a huge argument with you about, well, why can't you do that? And, well, I couldn't even do that. So if um, two steps before that, I was, I, I was already at a broken stage, then we need to redefine that as a milestone and head for milestones that make business value sense in the overall uh, demand forecasting uh, process. So that, you know, those were, those were good insights. And, and I think it's, uh, it's indicative of, um, of how deep the uh, supply chain goes into uh, um, procurement sourcing. And I'm going to add finance. I mean, I interviewed an ex-GE finance CFO at a hospital and he said, you know, Roddy, uh, we get uh, supply chain teams coming and they want to teach us supply chain and it's complicated. They, they've given us way too much information and all we want to do is to be able to make decisions around buffers of inventory. And when we say, well, why is that half a billion dollars worth of inventory sitting over there? Uh, then they get agitated. And, and so the bottom line is if you understand the flow of the process, and the flow of data and the structure of information flows and the lead times, uh, you're probably going to get it right. So I think that that's, you know, that's a good vindication of the uh, outside-in pivot uh, that I saw, certainly saw PNG go through when, when I was working with them. So, uh, you know, I think the time is, is almost up. 
So I'm going to say thank you to both Pia and to Nico. Thanks, Roddy. Appreciate it.